we are in a far better place. There's so much more going on and much more interest in the subject. And, and that for me is extremely promising. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. It's hard to believe, but in a few short weeks, we will be flipping the calendar to 2022, which means it will soon be time to start looking ahead. But before we get there, it is important to reflect back on where we've come in the fight against ALS in the past year. And joining me to do so this week is my guest co-host, Kathy Cummings, Executive Director of the International Alliance of ALS MND Associations. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us this week. Thanks for having me here, Jeremy. I really appreciate the opportunity. We always love having you on, and so I won't force you to uh, reintroduce yourself to listeners. They can go back and listen to some of your previous appearances on the show and learn about your connection to the disease. But Kathy, it is a good time to reflect back on 2021 and, and think about kind of what excites us about where we are in the fight and where we draw hope and inspiration moving forward. I'll start at the end and then work my way back to the beginning because uh, we just had on Friday a session called ALS MD Connect, which had three leading researchers from around the world, neurologists from Ireland, Canada, and the United States. And the title of one of those presentations was What's Happening in ALS Research? Why There's Hope for the Future. Uh, so just alluding back to your question, there is a lot happening in research that gives us hope for the future. And so I, I start at the end there with ALS MND Connect that just happened on Friday and work my way back to the beginning of the year. Despite the fact that we were in a global pandemic, we had a lot of activity happening that brought the international community together through roundtables that focused on significant discussions that we think need to happen around the world. So our roundtables focused on genetics on innovation and technology to support quality of life. We called that one the spectrum of possibilities. And the third roundtable was about improving regulatory pathways. So if you think about those three topics at a macro level, at the global level, we think those are the big conversations that really have to happen. Yeah, genetics is one that we've talked about recently on this show, the ALS Association rolling out some genetic counseling information so folks can begin having those conversations. And it's interesting, Kathy, when you and I have talked in the past to think about some of the things that are happening in any one association, whether it's in the United States, in the UK, is also happening on a global scale. That's not to say there aren't differences in the experiences and, and in some of the challenges that different associations have, but you know, some of these fights and a lot of these fights are, are global. Absolutely. And that actually brings us to another topic. I'll come back to genetics. But one of the things that the International Alliance focuses on and that drives everything forward is our fundamental rights of people living with ALS MND. Mm. Uh, and this year we did a lot of work on it. And I know you're going to interview one of my colleagues, Jess May, also on this podcast. And she did the lion's share of the work on a survey that we did globally to see how we're doing around the world for each country, how each country is respecting the rights, the fundamental rights of people living with ALS MND. And some of the work that we did on that fundamental rights statement early in 2021 was to recognize that 
where we had melded caregiver rights and rights of people living with ALS, we needed to split those out. Caregiver rights were becoming important unto themselves. Basically, the pandemic really highlighted that, that caregivers were overburdened, felt they didn't have a voice. And so we created a fundamental rights of caregivers of people living with ALS as well. And just circling back to your original comment about genetics, one of the outcomes of our genetics roundtable, which had stakeholders from all parts of our community, our member organizations, industry partners, people living with ALS, uh, and caregivers were all part of the discussion. And you're right, there are differences globally, but we had a number of outcomes. And one of those outcomes was to add genetic rights to those fundamental rights of people living with ALS. So that was kind of a circular answer to your question, but those genetic rights, we had a lot of discussion about when they should happen. For example, um, we were originally going to include the word timely access to genetic counseling and testing, but it was through discussion, especially with people living with ALS, that we instead included the words upon diagnosis. Uh, We Mm. want genetic counseling and testing to happen as close to diagnosis as possible so that people have the full information available to them if they choose to access that information. So you're right, there are differences globally. The genetic counseling and testing is not available everywhere globally. There's being a, a, there's a lot of work being done in, in your country to provide access uh, to those services. Uh, and we as the Global Alliance would like to set the bar high and have people have access as much as possible around the world. We know that that's not possible everywhere at this point, but we would like to see it happen. Yeah, it's it's exciting to see and obviously create so many challenges. And you talk about some of the differences in access to things like genetic testing and counseling from, from one country to the other. You know, even here in the United States, we see differences in access to certain technologies from state to state, from county to county. It occurs to me, you you know, I know the Alliance meeting was virtual for the second year in a row. We are all having this conversation over a virtual platform. So we found ways to allow technology for us to overcome this big challenge of social distancing. Uh, How does that impact or or what, what opportunities does that create or challenges does it give rise to as we think about reaching more people living with ALS and MND? I actually think it's been more on the opportunity side than the challenge side. The pandemic has presented the perfect storm of providing access to many different things that had barriers before through telemedicine, telehealth, for example, people even doing testing for certain outcomes within clinical trials have been able to do that testing at home or in local areas instead of having to go into clinics in some cases, not all cases, but uh, in some cases, telehealth has been able to support people through clinical trials. Telehealth has certainly helped in terms of genetic counseling and testing and access to many, many different services that previously weren't available. We've also seen an increase in connectivity and accessibility for people who couldn't otherwise participate in our events at the International Alliance. As you noted, we've had to uh, have virtual events the last two years where normally we would meet in person every December. And particularly for our allied health professionals of nurses, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and so on, and genetic counselors, um, they were able to access our meetings 
from their desktops around the world. And we've had lots of positive feedback that that's been a, a good step forward so that people don't have to travel to go to a one or two day meeting. At the same time, while telehealth and teleconferencing has given us an opportunity to reach more people, I know many folks are looking forward to be in the same room together when possible. I think we are going to have some hybrid you know, hybrid opportunities for folks who can't get there. But let's talk a little bit about 2022 San Diego. What's on the horizon? I would love to talk about 2022 in San Diego because I'm one of those people who's very much looking forward to being in person and reconnecting with the community in person. So our, our meetings typically are in December of each year, and we are planning on being in person in San Diego for the Alliance meeting, our annual general meeting, the Allied Health Professionals Forum, and the research symposium that's put on by the Motor Neuron Disease Association of England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And uh, so, as I say, keep your eyes peeled and stay tuned for December 2022 in San Diego. I've never been there myself, but I understand it's a beautiful city and we're hoping to have as many researchers and patient advocacy organizations from around the world as, as we can. We are actually hoping for the Allied Health Professionals Forum specifically to make it a hybrid meeting so that we can keep some of the people that we've uh, been able to reach over the last two years in the virtual environment connected and engaged with the Allied Health Professional community, but still honoring the in-person event as well to have a hybrid yeah, it strikes me that so many of the the barriers that have been taken down. Um, I know here we've talked about telehealth access across state lines, but just being able to reach people and not let some of those barriers prevent full participation from the community that we serve and the folks that serve the community that we serve. Well, Kathy, you mentioned it earlier. I did have an opportunity to sit down with Jess Mabe to get her perspective on the Alliance meeting and the Allied Professionals Forum. So let's hear from Jessica now. Well, Jess, thanks so much for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Hi, thank you very much for having me here. Yeah, we're excited to hear from you about the, the recent Alliance meeting in the Allied Professionals Forum. But before we get started with all of that, and since you are a first-time guest here on Connecting ALS, can you give us a little bit of background about your work with the Alliance and your personal connection to ALS? Yes, so uh, my mom was a fighter on the ALS MND journey. She was diagnosed in the end of 2014, a few months after the Ice Bucket Challenge. And uh, at the time I was living overseas and I decided to come back to, I'm actually in Colombia at the moment, to be the caregiver alongside my dad. So she had the journey from 2014 to beginning of 2018 when she passed away. Uh, shortly after that, I decided to join as a volunteer with the association here in Colombia. And through them, I sort of got introduced to the Alliance. I was a member of the PCAC, the uh, People Living with ALS and Caregivers Advisory Council. So I joined them sort of when they were starting to review the fundamental rights for people living with ALS MND. And then shortly after, I joined the Alliance as programs coordinator. So this is, brings you up to date. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the PCAC and I know Kathy mentioned earlier some of the survey research that's been done so we can learn about the experience globally of, of people living with ALS, MND. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious the role as you're putting together something like the Alliance meeting or the Allied Professionals Forum, what role do 
folks in the communities that we serve, people with ALS caregivers play in informing the agenda, the topics that are discussed and kind of pulling all of this together? So there is a combination. So we're talking about different events altogether. So the Alliance meeting is for the member associations of the Alliance. So uh, they all contribute with different sort of uh, topics for the presentations, which go through our committee to sort of, um, there's a program committee. Then with that, they decide that, you know, what would be the best dynamic. And within the program committee, you've got members from different parts of the world that also, you know, highlight what would be a sort of special, you know, and informative, uh, and that would sort of join and put together information and presentations that would apply to certain parts of the world. It's a, it's a challenge, the time zones, and we try to sort of work as much as possible to keep it as balanced as possible and not sort of region centric in a particular country. So we, you know, we worked really hard in sort of trying to combine as many regions and countries from different parts of the world. And I think we achieved that this year in the Alliance meeting. We had fantastic presentations from everywhere in the world, and it was a great forum for everyone to learn from each other. So that was on the Alliance meeting. And of course, the member associations have a direct sort of contact with their patients and with their caregivers. So they use all that information to pass on and share. With the Allied Professional Forum, it's a slightly different approach. They go through an abstract process and, uh, you know, that also goes through a committee and it's a lot more sort of focused on health professionals, but at the same time, we manage to include um, presenters from different parts of the world. And uh, last year I was as an audience, this year I was sort of staff, but I just find it incredible how much gets shared and how much knowledge is out there and how willing everyone is to join forces and sort of move away from working in silos and independently and to sort of try and sort of share how to make things better in the ALS and community. And Jess, you are a presenter this year. I was, yes. So tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit, a bit about your presentation and what you were trying to bring to the community and, and you know, just walk us through. So um, as Kathy mentioned, we did a lot of work this year on the fundamental rights and uh, from that analysis and sort of bringing two documents, we did a survey that was directed at people living with ALS MND and caregivers living with ALS MND. So we took sort of at this point, you know, we only finished this sort of in September, we got the data. So it's been sort of, uh, you know, a lot of hands on work and sort of drilling into it, but we were keen to sort of start sharing at a macro level what we found from the surveys. So um, there's a lot <laughs> to, to go through still, sure. but we divided it in uh, four different presentations. So we did an initial one, which was done alongside Angelique, one of our members from the PCAC. She's also a person living with ALS and And we focused on the results for house. Then we did another presentation with regards to the results for caregivers. Uh, those two were quite in depth. And then at the APF, we did another presentation with Kathy alongside sort of how we saw the multi uh, out of the results, how we saw the effect of a multidisciplinary team in mm. people living with ALS MND. And we also were did a caregiving panel. And from there, I also presented a few slides with regards to the effects of the fundamental rights, sort of what the, how, how caregivers are feeling with regards to support, you know, worldwide. So those were sort of the four presentations that we did. 
you know, and it occurs to me that all of this is informed by some of the themes and some of the topical concerns. Um, and as you reflect back on, on 2021 and the work that went into this, are there key themes that emerged in the past year that, that inform both the agenda for the Alliance meeting, for the forum, but also for the work going forward? I think that when you ask me the question, the key thing that sort of comes to my head is uh, support. And this applies for pals and cows. Um, When we looked at the data and sort of start sort of looking at the images and everything, what stood up for both of them was how low the levels of agreement were from cows and cows. So across the board for the people living with ALS, the level, the, the median level of agreement was 45 and for caregivers was 30. And that is really low when you actually think of how people are responding with regards to their rights, in particularly on the caregiver side. And I know it's a topic that we're just really starting to sort of push and drive is how unsupported the feel in all areas across the ALS MND journey. And with regards to PALS, I think one that stood out a lot was around the quality of healthcare they might get and the accessibility to treatments was also another one that stood out. It's been fascinating to watch the spotlight on caregivers get brighter and the the conversations around supporting caregivers um, becoming louder. Uh, And I'm sure that's something that we'll continue to see. Coming out of the Alliance meeting, the Allied Professionals Forum, and as we do kind of start to pivot into 2022 and the fights ahead. I know it's such an arbitrary thing to think that from December 31st to January 1st is some type of big change in things, but you know, symbolically it is. And so what, where do you draw hope and inspiration from as we start to turn our gaze forward? I, I just think unity, something that I sort of, you know, it left me very, you know, it sounds a little bit cheesy, but warm at heart after mm. all the events we just had was how willing everyone was to sort of work together. And, uh, you know, it's not always easy, but I think sort of as we've already discussed sort of what the pandemic has brought and sort of being able to work more virtually and across the world, like, you know, I'm in Colombia right now, Kathy's in Canada and, you know, you're in the States, but, you know, it's been so much easier to communicate across the world. People have become more open to this type of channel. And I just feel that, there is a lot of willingness to sort of see how we can carry on working together in fourth rather than just sort of, oh, we've met up and then everyone goes and does their own thing and joins up again in a year's time. I think there is a really communal interest in working together. And uh, I know we've been working with Kathy in the programs for 2022, and we've got some exciting webinars that will be available for the public domain, not, not specifically for our members. And along that, it's a lot around caregivers. And uh, as well as pals, you know, we cannot, you know, they're they're also a very massive, big uh, part of the equation, of course. But I really think that we need to start thinking them as a combined unit, uh, pals and cows, and not just pals and sort of caregivers attached to them. I think we need to start seeing them as they are one. And um, how can we sort of start thinking that way in everything we do? Very inspiring, Jess. Before I let you go, any other closing thoughts about uh, kind of where we are in the fight against ALS-MND today? You know, I, I look back at when I've had my own journey myself as a caregiver and going through the diagnosis and trying to understand what ALS-MND and, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's a tough journey for the caregiver. Uh, and there was, it was hard to get information 
and this was just we're talking here at end of 2014 to 2015 and just seeing sort of uh what i see here keeping my hand on the ground what happens with caregivers in colombia and sort of what i'm seeing in with the members in the alliance is that there is so much more out there of reliable information and easy access. And I think that's a massive win uh, because one of the biggest downfalls sort of very early on, going back just you know a few years back, is being able to find reliable information on what to do. And I just think we are in a far better place with regards to accessibility to information. I still think there's work to do, especially on the language barriers of a lot of other mm. countries that are not English speakers. I think, you know, there, there is work we can still do there to sort of make it more multi-language. Um, but we are so much further ahead. And I just think that it's fantastic. And on the research and clinical trials, I think it's all moving so much quicker. Obviously, we all want it to happen now. Absolutely. <laughs> we, all, we, all, we all pray for the good news. Um, but there's so much more going on and much more interest in the subject. And, and that, for me, is extremely promising. It's so great to hear. And I, you know, it strikes me that, you know, in addition to looking back to see how far we've come to remind us that, you know, it, while there is still work to be done, we're, we're, we've moved forward in good directions. And that I think that velocity variable that you brought up, that things are moving faster. And even if we want them to move even faster, you know, we're maybe moving in the right direction of both or on all fronts. Jess, thanks so much for your time today. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure, an honor. <laughs> Well, Kathy, fascinating conversation with Jess and really kind of gets me energized for the work ahead. And, um, you know, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get back to work. Uh, any closing thoughts from you before we let you get back to the work? Thanks, Jeremy. I do have three closing thoughts. One of them is quite small, but it's a bit of a teachable moment, which is when we were talking about genetics, you used the phrase genetics testing and counseling, and we would encourage everyone to reverse those words. We think it's important that genetic testing never happens without counseling. So rather than using the phraseology the way you said it, we would appreciate it if everyone would say, access to genetic counseling and testing, putting the word counseling first because it's of primary importance. So I hope you uh, won't take that as a criticism, but I do want to encourage the whole world to use the phrase genetic counseling and testing. I you know, Kathy, I'm just going to oh, say sorry. real quick, no, I'm just going to say if, if, if Dr. Jill Yersak, who's well known to uh, to listeners of this show, if she hears this episode, she's going to call me up right away and say, I told you it's genetic counseling and testing. So I am still a work in progress, but well noted. And, and it's a good reminder for folks at home, counseling first, counseling first, counseling first. Jill is one of my mentors in the, in the <laughs> genetic area. So I'm glad we're on the same page on that. Thank you. Uh, the second thing I just wanted to say was with regards to the access to uh, our programming that, or the influence, I should say, to our programming that people with ALS, living with ALS and m and have. In our most recent Allied Professionals Forum, I would say that many of the sessions that were put on by people living with ALS were the home runs of the conference because they really root the allied health professionals in why we're doing what we're doing. So just as a couple of examples of that, we had two people from our pals and cals advisory council who did presentations on the evolution of voice banking and how we're moving towards natural voice and 
we also had a presentation from someone within that uh, evolution of voice banking session who is able to use her natural voice in both English and in Mandarin. So she can speak at work in English and in Mandarin to her mom oh, wow. uh, when, when she wants to. And, and it's all done from the same voice banking program. We also had uh, people living with ALS and caregivers, uh, as Jess noted in our PCAC survey as well, doing those presentations. We had an individual who has an SOD1 mutation who kicked off our genetics section of the programming. And I think probably one of our most popular sessions was entitled, I'd rather die from sex than from ALS MND. And again, that was the perspective of someone living with MND who um, kicked off that session and reminded all allied health professionals that sex is not a taboo subject. Intimacy is important. And when your life changes because of the disease, the health professionals still need to be aware of that and to bring that conversation out into the open with the people that they look after. And the last thought I want to leave you with is the beauty of the International Alliance is that we can benchmark around the world. So you used genetics as an example, and you said that your organization is doing a lot of work in genetics. And we bring the, the organizations that are doing that work together and we all build off each other. We don't reinvent the wheel. We benchmark against each other. And the best example I have that emerged uh, from the most recent set of conferences on that was in a session that Jess was facilitating in the networking where we discovered that in the Flemish section of Belgium, caregivers are actually remunerated to the tune of 65,000 euros a year to be caregivers. And one of the results from our survey was that remuneration is pitiful around the world for caregivers. And right. it's something we all have to get behind. So that ability to benchmark around the world and find really good examples that we can all strive for is a fantastic outcome of our meetings. Oh, that's such, so great to hear about the benchmarking. And I know a lot of work is being done around caregiver financial support, whether it's through tax credits or other ways to to compensate caregivers for all the work that goes into it. So Kathy, thank you so much as always for your time. We always have a microphone for you here at Connecting ALS. Thank you. I want to again thank our guests this week, Kathy Cummings and Jess Mabe from the International Alliance of ALS MND Associations. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and find time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, production management by Gabriela Montequin, supervised by David Hoffman. That is going to do it for this week's episode of Connecting ALS. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon. Bye.